0: Hey guys, it is Courtney with Empowered PAs. I am super excited to introduce uh, my guest today on our podcast. If you're watching this as a video, it's also a podcast. Um, also will be a blog post. Um, her name is Brianna Cardenas. You probably know her on Instagram as Healed and Empowered. She's on. Uh, she actually has her own site, which is HealedandEmpowered.com, and it's Um, kind of her journey as a PA, but also as a patient. She has a disability and uh, chronic illness. And so it's really an inspiring site. And also her handle is very, on Instagram is super inspiring. So if you don't, haven't uh, followed her yet, definitely go follow her there. So I'm excited to talk with her today. We had a great podcast uh, session. I we just uh, concluded that, and so I just wanted to record the introduction and tell you guys that it it was really great. Also, really, really long. So if you're just you know kind of listening to this podcast, be prepared. It is a bit long. (laughs) It's like an over an hour, twenty minutes. So um, get cozy, snuggle in. Um, I'm a fan of longer podcasts. I don't like the 30-minute podcast. We did aim for that, but we just got into conversations that were just super important to us. Uh, So the topic today was diversity, and especially in the PA profession, kind of recognizing those barriers and also navigating through those barriers. And so um, really important, kind of a sensitive topic. And so I think that I'm very pleased with how it turned out. I hope you guys will be as well. Go follow her on Instagram. I'm, of course, at empoweredpas.com. That is my blog, my website, resource uh, heavy for PAs, pre-PA students, um, and PA students as well. We have lots of different, you know, articles and this will hopefully be have like a uh, day in the life of a PA series, for example. And so this I think will be probably the first installment of our diversity series. So I'm really, really excited to kind of kick that off a little bit. Uh, it's been a long time coming. So with that said, I do want to throw out a few disclaimers. One, the opinions um, spoken here are our own opinions. They do not represent our employers. It's very important. These are very sensitive topics. And please know that we are just speaking as ourselves individually, we don't represent any other um, entities. Two, we aren't giving out medical advice. We don't really speak about uh, medicine on a granular level here. It's is more broad as the PA profession in general, but uh, I just need to throw that out there. We aren't giving out medical advice because we are PAs. And then the third, it's maybe not a disclaimer, maybe more of a request, is that please be open and be kind when it comes to this specific podcast. And the reason I say that is because we are both putting ourselves out there for on topics that are kind of hard to talk about. And I know myself, I, I will get it wrong. I'm still kind of in the, in the learning phase of advocating for diverse groups. Um, and you know, we all come here with different backgrounds. You know, Brianna can't speak for everyone in a specific group. I can't speak for everyone in a specific group. And that's actually not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is expose people, PAs especially, pre-PAs and PA students, to the challenges that may or may not exist for um, our profession in, when it comes to diversity, and so that is that is it we you know we make no political statements, we are not here to make judgments, we are just trying to kind of talk through uh, what some of those barriers might be, and maybe some ways to to navigate through them. We may not give advice that you agree with, and that 's really challenging for people to kind of accept and so Please know that our intentions are all, you know, they are true and um, we we mean well, and that if, um, if you find something that is either triggering or offensive, uh, I will apologize for that, uh, but we are doing our best. And sometimes that's all you can do when it comes to uh, having really hard conversations. So with that said, uh, what's the last little piece? Any housekeeping pieces? Oh, like I said, if you wanna support us, um, uh, I am on Patreon. Empower PAs is on Patreon. And I think that's it. So let's get to it. Let's enjoy this. It's a great podcast. I hope you guys enjoy it. You know, as always, please give feedback. Um, I'm glad to hear it. Thanks.
1: <laughs> How are you? Doing well, thanks. Thanks so much. How are
0: you? Good, doing okay. Doing okay. So I'm super excited to have you on our podcast today, Um, and that this is going to be a podcast and hopefully a blog post, and maybe we'll get this up on YouTube. We'll see what we can do with the video part of it. But super excited to have you with us. Um, I wanted to introduce you to the Empowered PA's podcast community because I just think you're amazing, and I wanted to tell everybody kind of a little bit how we met. Uh, So. Uh, Brianna and I actually initially started tagging each other in on Instagram it like started with just the tags right like oh and sharing posts and like I would like tag her to tag me and I was like oh her her handle has empowered in it which like totally sparked my interest so her handle is healed and empowered on Instagram Uh, and that's kind of how we started and then it turned into like small conversations and then eventually we kind of figured out that you know we should probably collaborate because she's really inspiring and she's like in my opinion one of the epitomes of an empowered pa and so um i was super impressed when i reached out to you and i said what do you want to talk about and i'm going to quote you here because i was just like this was amazing to me um she said and i quote she wanted to share her story um highlighting diversity and addressing the barriers that exist and how to navigate them which that to me was amazing and then she she was specific about Um, specifically about women, about people of color, about the LGBTQ plus community, and about um, uh, specifically about the disabled and chronically ill community. And I just, I like, I bow to you when it comes to that, because that's a lot to tackle. You know, (laughs) so I like, I just, I'm super excited. I'm a wee bit nervous, because I know that these are really hard conversations to have, but they're super necessary conversations. So with that, to hand it over to you. Tell us a little bit, maybe start by telling us a little bit about your background and then sure. tell us your story because I know everybody wants to hear about it.
1: Awesome. Well thank you so much for that really nice introduction, Courtney. That was so kind of you I'm like here blushing behind my glasses. Thanks so much. Um yes I'm so happy that we collaborated and I love that um you are you know really taking charge of some of these difficult conversations um especially um you know, in light of how our society is right now with a lot of like racial tensions really being at the forefront of our attention space, um, I think that is really, really powerful that you're deciding to say like, yes, this is a little uncomfortable, but let's have these discussions anyway. So I, I really sincerely do appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, so yes, Courtney and I connected on Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle is healed and empowered. And kind of the background behind that is that I um, I guess I'll start at when I got sick and then talk about like how I became a PA. Um, I have a condition called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and it's a connective tissue disorder that when I was younger and got diagnosed, I was 20 when I was diagnosed, I thought that just means I'm hypermobile like that means I'm bendy and double jointed and like that's cool so see I'm like very very oh! hypermobile. I know yeah. right like I should have put like a trigger warning like trigger warning extreme hypermobility right um so I just thought like okay like I'm a little hypermobile like I might have some more like arthritis than normal like that's okay right um, so, got diagnosed when I was twenty. Um, while I was an athletic training student, my bachelor's is in athletic training, and dealt with kind of a lot of back pain and other um, kind of just chronic joint pain issues in college. And I was actually a physical therapy, a physical therapist, while I was doing a rotation for athletic training in undergrad. Um, that. Suggests like hey you have like global hypermobility like this is a condition that you have and I was like oh, okay and I don't think that I had really assimilated like oh this is an illness like this is something I'm gonna be dealing with the rest of my life like I was just like oh like it's nice to have a name for like why my knees and my back hurt um so it didn't really have a huge effect on me until I got into PA school um and when I was applying for schools as a uh, undergrad in athletic training. Um, I actually just applied to Western U, um, and that was uh, in Pomona, which is where I live, or near where I live in uh, Southern California. So I applied to the one school, and I think that, like, one thing that I like to share about that story is because I know that PA school applications are, like, super competitive, and sometimes people hear, like, oh, my gosh, you only applied to one school and got in. Like, you must have had, like, stellar GPA, Or, like, you know, some stellar like background to get in. Um, And I tell people, like, part of the reason why I only applied to one school is because I knew that that was all I could afford to apply for, number one. Um, And also because I did not have the like support, because I rely on my husband a lot for support, both from just like the human emotional standpoint and also because of like some of the limitations from my chronic illness. Um, And so, I applied to one school because I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to be successful like away from my support. Um, I'm going to have a hard time commuting like that's going to be really hard on my back um, if I have to go an hour away into Los Angeles or into you know some other area. And at that time, I didn't realize that that was like a barrier that I was facing when I was applying for schools. Um, I hear about some students that they're like, yeah, I applied like 15 different schools, and I'm like, wow, good for you. <laughs> that's awesome. But I I really don't think at that time it had registered like how big of a deal it was that like, oh, I have like limitations that wouldn't even allow me to necessarily go to different schools or go to, you know, somewhere far away. And ultimately, this is the community where I plan on like living for the rest of my life. Um, I work in the same city I live in, which is amazing. And I love that. Um, It just was one of those things that Now, looking back, I'm like, oh, wow, like, I didn't think about that as an applicant. I just thought, like, I'm trying my best to get into PA school. And I don't think I realized at the time it was, you know, a potential constraint on, like, my options at that point. So I know
0: that one of the things that you had to go through that and not even recognizing that it's just to like, I wouldn't have considered back pain as part of the consideration of where you would apply. But absolutely, that makes sense. Right. And I think like
1: now that I've done more advocacy work, like as somebody who's had like a pretty extreme end of the spectrum, like I, you know, fast forward, I got into PA school and I became a PA and had, you know, various issues come up or like difficulties that we'll talk about like later in our podcast. Um, But after about six years of practice, I actually ended up needing back surgery and I couldn't work in clinic anymore after I had back surgery because um, it was mostly successful. Um, it was for a spinal fluid leak. And um, I just had like six spontaneous <laughs> leaks in my spinal fluid, which turned out to be like a secondary effect of this illness that I have, elias syndrome. Mm-hmm. And so even just kind of like navigating that whole scenario, like as a patient, really kind of re-energized me to do a lot of advocacy work because of the way that I was treated by other healthcare providers, um, because, uh, you know, the stories that a lot of people would share with me in our chronic illness community about how they were essentially like medically gaslit and like people would just say like, no, like that's impossible that you're having these symptoms. Like, have you considered that you're crazy? Like (laughs) those types of things are like, Rampant in healthcare today and so like I'm very fortunate that I was able to make such a significant recovery That's why my handle is like healed and Empowered um, and so now I do a lot of chronic illness advocacy and I teach at a PA program which I um, I'm so grateful to work at a program that really does emphasize diversity in all of its forms So like not just because I am a Latinx female um, but because also like ableism and like different ability statuses, like that also is a piece of diversity that I think that we kind of forget sometimes. So I'm really grateful to work in a scenario where like I get to touch people's lives before they're out in healthcare and then as a result, like they get out into healthcare and they are just like amazing, wonderful human beings that kind of carry that little nugget in the back of their mind, like, Oh yeah, like I'll try not to be ableist today <laughs> or <laughs> I'll try not to like Suggest that my patient with some, you know, challenging symptoms
0: is like making it up for attention, like <laughs> those types that's of things. A big deal. No, that's a huge deal, especially since they have somebody that they can empathize with, right? Up, right off the bat. No, that's. I mean, that's. It's not great that you have these conditions, but it is also a way to give back for sure. Um, given the the experiences that you've had, absolutely, I think that you're you're impacting people in more ways than you know because then that will impact. Their ability to care for patients, and then those patients will have different interactions with other PAs because of that positive interaction. That's wonderful.
1: That's yeah. cool. <laughs> it's
0: happening. It's happening. <laughs> no, <you're not.
1: laughs> well, thank you so much. No, I, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, some of the things that I faced in school that I thought, you know, like, these things just happened or, you know, whatever the scenario was, whether it be like interactions that with preceptors, I can look back and be like, wow, that was like really ableist or that was kind of racist or like that was like kind of like homophobic or like an LGBTQ plus slur because I identify as bisexual. And I was I'm open about that. And I was involved in like clubs and things like that in school. Um, I just thought at the time experiencing those things like that just happened today or like, you know, that was just kind of a bummer and I had a bad day because this happened. And it wasn't until I, you know, had the time and the space to look back and reflect um, and found more resources on like ableism and anti-racist work that I was like, oh, like those were microaggressions that I was facing. Like those were like, you know, in some cases not so micro <laughs> like aggressions that I was Mac- going through. for sure. Yes, exactly. And so I think what's nice about working in health Yeah, in health education is that I get the opportunity to, I think, be an advocate for some of my students and give them a heads up that, like, you might face things like this. Um, I'll give you an example, like, of, um, just, like, had my shirt come up in (laughs) there. It's a little video. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I know. Like, (laughs) a different section of YouTube.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, this is generated. Okay. <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. <laughs> um, so um, I'll give you an example of one of the things that, um, you know, I prepared a student for because these things did happen to me as well. Um, you know, I did find in school that certain rotations that people would say like, oh my gosh, this preceptor is great. They let me have a lot of autonomy. They let me go and do, you know, a lot of procedures or they're like super willing to teach or whatever the case is. Um, I found, as a student, that when I would go to those rotations, that I didn't have that same experience. Um, I kind of had to, like, make myself known, like, hey, can I go see a patient, or excuse me, you know, Dr. So-and-so, would it be all right if I, like, followed you so I could, like, get some patient, you know, interactions? Um, or do you mind if I go ahead and grab a chart so I can get started, um, and I'll start this patient for you? So, I really didn't find that there was that same degree of interaction or willingness to teach me. And I found out that some of my other Latinx or Black colleagues that were in school kind of had similar experiences. And then it's not until you kind of get back onto campus and talk about it with each other that you find out like, oh, like, that person was being racist, right? Like, and I don't think that it was a blatant like oh like you're a lazy mexican so you don't get to see patients like it wasn't like this blatant like in your face kind of thing and a lot of times it's not a lot of times it's like those microaggressions and i think that's what kind of makes this whole topic kind of difficult to talk about is because that person if i went to them today could probably be like well i'm not racist and fully believe that because i think the bar for racism that we set in our society is like well i'm not wearing a KKK outfits, so therefore, are <laughs> And it's like a big spectrum of ways that we can exist. And I think like, I don't know what I would really love or just like, I guess what I fantasize about like how that interaction would go like is even just having that like little bit of acknowledgement from that person. Like, you know what? Yes, I did. Now that I look back at it, treat you different than I treated your white colleagues. And like, I'm going to do better because now it's on my radar or like I recognize that I have a bias and now I'm going to make sure that I like don't do that. Even if it means I have to put a sticky note like on my, you know, car, like my little mirror visor, like when I get out of the car, like you know, remember to treat everybody like equally or even if you have to like do a little extra to not commit microaggressions or like get over those biases or like start to address them. Um, I would love even just like, if there was that acknowledgement piece, you know what I mean? So I'm very grateful for what you do because you not only have the acknowledgement piece of like, this is an issue that we all need to work on, but like, I just am so grateful that you're working to like address it and have these conversations. Thank you.
0: You know, I think one of the things, and I'm, I'm certainly, I'm, I feel like I'm as an ally, I feel like I'm in that very first stage of like understanding there's an issue. And, and so like, I still don't, fully understand. I, don't, I will never fully understand, but at least like the recognition part of it is super hard because I can't imagine what that experience is like that, especially that light bulb moment where you're like, Oh, Oh, this has to do with my skin color. Like, and mm-hmm. I've never been through that. So I, it's, it's really hard. I want, I can't empathize in that way, but I can sympathize in the sense of like feeling like an outsider and those, those but to then still be a student in the pressures of PA school and also dealing with all the stuff. I didn't have to go through that, but I felt all the pressures of PA school and trying to financially support myself and like there's all those other layers of complexity. Um, it's just super important to to be aware that this exists, whether you want it to or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, it still exists for these students. And like, I'm so glad that you're sharing these these, even little events that can, because, you know, there's a possible that I have, I have made a student feel that way and that to me feels like I have to fix that. I I need to address it, I need to name it, call it what it is, pay attention to it, and, you know, try to share these experiences so that I can help other PAs recognize that as a preceptor, as even a colleague of a physician that you know is acting a certain way, it's our responsibility to make sure that these students are um, not having these experiences.
1: And sometimes it is really hard because I think one of the really, like, important kind of, like, side conversations that has evolved out of, you know, a lot of these conversations centered around anti-racism, whether it's through, like, the PAEA town halls or the AAPA, excuse me, town halls, or even just, like, some of the talks that I've seen organized by students, like, amazing, amazing PA students on Instagram. Um, One of the things that always (laughs) tends to, if I hit, hit my desk right now. Um, that tends to bud out of these conversations is the power dynamic like how do I approach this when I'm just a student and this person holds the key to me passing this rotation and getting into you know a program or excuse me into um, my profession and you know moving on through my program how do I approach this with somebody who's writing and signing my paycheck right because it doesn't necessarily stop once you're out and you're certified, and you're like, I'm a real PA now, like, it still happens, right? Or like, how do you approach like a supervising physician when you see them treat a patient of color in a way that is, you know, disparate to how they treat their white patients. And like, I get that that's a difficult power dynamic to bridge, because you're like, well, I'm not trying to like get kicked out of a program, because somebody committed a microaggression, because it almost feels like this like hopeless battle of like, Number one, I have to get them to realize that something is wrong, which they will probably deny. And then I have to prove, like, I bear the burden of proof, like, that this was committed in, like, some type of racial, you know, bias or, like, due to some, you know, issue that centered around my race. And then it's, like, you're essentially having to, like, re-traumatize yourself every time you're talking about it or trying to advocate for yourself or, like, bring it to somebody who you feel can do something about it. And then you might get to the level where you're, like, no, like, this happened. I'm talking to my program director or whatever it is about it, right? And then they're like, well, there's not a lot we can do about it because they might be the only, like if you're in a rural area, like they're the only ER rotation for 100 miles. So like, I'm sorry, like there's nothing we can do about it, right? So like those dynamics, like those power dynamics really play a huge role. So I think like if there were actionable tips on like what we could do to be like better colleagues or like better preceptors to students, is, like, number one, I would say just, like, know that these things are happening, like, they are happening, even if we're not committing them, like, they're happening, and these students are experiencing them. And I think even, like, just having a conversation initially, just to be like, hey, welcome to whatever rotation, right, please know that I'm here as an ally, and, like, everybody is welcome here and you are here, and you are worth being here, right, because I know that I carried, like, a lot of imposter syndrome around a lot of those, like, internalized microaggressions or narratives around, like, Latinx people being lazy or whatever the case was, right, so I know that, like, those were just things that I carried with me, like, as part of my fabric of, like, how I thought people would perceive me showing up, so Mm -hmm. I think if someone would have come to me and been, like, you are welcome here, you deserve to be here, like, I'm going to make sure that this is a good rotation for you. What are you hoping to get out of this rotation and how can I help you do that? Or like setting some type of parameter, like if you have an issue or you feel uncomfortable, like please know that you can come to me and I will believe you and like we can have a conversation about this and I'll try to help, you know. So even just like those types of things that I think are, I want to say that they're like givens for students that don't experience these types of microaggressions, like they know like, of course, if something bad happened, I could talk to somebody about it. And I don't think that people of color
0: necessarily feel that way. That's such great advice. And because it's easy, right? We can all, every PA who's watching this can do that like tomorrow, if you have a student um, and, and like in the ER, we actually have several in my setup is that we have um, several different preceptors. So like, a, I'm a CPA student that's been there for three weeks and so I, I some would forget that like I usually if I see them the first day it's like I give that intro of like I'm here for you if you have any issues let me know but like it's important to make sure that you're still checking in I, I think um, on that note that just offering that like hey I know you've been here the whole time but let me just address that if you know you're supposed to be here you're you should be here you're doing a great job and that if you need anything that's a that's such great advice it's so easy to implement so easy.
1: Thank you. Um, And I think like, I don't know, sometimes we almost forget. And I think when we're talking with somebody who's like maybe a little bit um, different than us, that like there creates this internal mechanism of like, oh, am I racist if I like address like things that are, you know, going on in current events? Like if I go to my black student and I say like, how are you feeling about you know, like, the issues that are going on in society right now. Like, is that racist of me to just, like, go up to, like, a Black student and say that? Um, And I think it really depends on how you're addressing it. So um, if, for example, you were to go to, um, I don't know, like, I guess a good example is, like, at a lot of colleges and universities, um, they'll essentially go to their colleagues that are Black or Latinx during various months, right? Like it's Latinx Heritage Month. So mm-hmm. they'll find all the Latinx professors and be like, oh, can you guys put something together for us? So then it's creating like this extra work that's not paid for. That's like just an additional, like kind of almost like additional, like load to your plate that you're getting asked to do. Like just because like, oh, you're, at, you're Latinx. So like, of course you'll know like what to do. <laughs> You know what I mean? So, like, just some of those types of ways of approaching it, like, are maybe, like, I guess you could ask, like, what is the goal of doing that, right? So, like, if the goal was, like, could you educate me more about that? Like, that's one thing. But if you're, like, hey, can you, like, create the Latinx Heritage event because, like, we need to do it and, like, you're a Latinx, so I guess that this is how that works, right? Like, those are two
0: very different, like, approaches. It's all in the approach, for sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we've exactly. checked that box. Great job. Good, good yes. job. No exactly. burden, a person who is already feeling burdened more. Good job.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. I think that's, that's um, you know, those differences. Um, I think there's are subtle differences, which I think can kind of discourage people from being allies. Um, Like I had a conversation with a colleague at one point that was like, you know, I feel like the difference between when I advocate for, for example, LGBTQ plus people, right? Like I don't feel like I'm going to do it wrong. And when I'm talking about, you know, advocating or being an ally for the black community or for like the Latinx community, like I feel like if I say something wrong, that I'm going to get like, you know, really a lot of negative feedback or like, I'm going to get canceled or I'm going to get like, blah, blah, blah. So like, sometimes I don't have that same fire, like to show up and be like, yeah, don't do this. Or like, yeah, I'm here for this community because like, I feel like if I misstep that I'm going to get a lot of pushback or that it's going to look really bad on me. Um, Which I think is, you know, certainly a a concern that for that person was valid, you know, um and I think it does take that extra work to be like why would there be pushback or why you know would somebody be angry or like push back on me and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that this is trauma that people are facing on a daily basis like you're carrying around that weight and it's you can't necessarily have a metered like oh yes let me take time to educate you about how that perhaps was a little bit deaf, sir like when you're carrying this like pain and this trauma and this hurt all the time, like there's not like people don't have necessarily that space to like pause and like, let me educate you, you know?
0: So. I think there's a lot of scrutiny when it comes to and, and the heightened sensitivities, right? Like we're in, obviously I'm not speaking for persons of color as a, as a woman, you know, I can speak on the, I you know, experienced it in a different way, but, um, when there's multiple traumas, because it's not just tra- like one event, right? Like that, it's right. this, this a single event. I can imagine that there have been multiple events from multiple people from multiple parts of your life, from very young age to a very, you know, your current age all, and all in between. And so that sensitivity to a particular subject allows for a, a lot of um, emotions that I think come out. And so as it, when it comes to Persons of color, obviously I'm white. And so it's as a person, as a white person, I don't feel always comfortable jumping onto Instagram or to Facebook and talking about how to advocate best for persons of color because I'm not a person of color. And there's that, you're right. And then that level of scrutiny is really, really high. And it's almost scary to put yourself out there because I know for sure I'm going to get something from this podcast. <laughs> Somebody is going to have take offense to something I said. And and I know it comes from a place of trauma. You're exactly right. It almost always comes from some experience they had. And they interpreted what I said in a way that was not my intent. And so you're right. For, for people that are like, and I'm not an LGBTQ, I'm not... I'm part of the community in terms of supporting it, but I am not, I don't identify because, you know, I don't, I'm not in that group. But so it's, it's just, so I don't feel like I would speak out for them in terms uh in that group it, because I'm not necessarily included. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't know how to say that the right way.
1: No, but I you- think that I can feel where you're coming from though. Like, it's hard to like, it's almost as like, I don't want to like take away the spotlight that should rightfully be like on these other individuals that are like experiencing the grief kind of thing.
0: That can speak out in a way that that is much better than I clearly can't articulate nor could I truly empathize with. Um, I'm happy to give that platform to somebody hand it over and say, like exactly I don't want to take that spotlight away from them because their message is so important to share. So yeah, and it's a struggle and I still struggle with it. Now I I've been struggled with having this conversation up front. I talked about it and I was like, "No, no, this is important. It's important to have these conversations." So that's why I'm so glad that you're here that we're we're having them.
1: Thank you. Um yeah, I I suppose maybe we can um what should I say like talk about I guess tools or like tips and tricks so to speak about like how to um kind of know, what can I do as a student? What can I do as a preceptor? You know, what can I do to, I guess, like, check these biases a little bit? Um, Because we didn't even really touch on, like, ableism and, like, how we treat, like, some of our patients, for example, um, which I can probably, like, dip into, (laughs) you know, little tidbits here and there. But um, I would say, like, one thing that I'm really impressed with a lot of my students for doing is um, even just, like, the shows of solidarity that are visual and, like, you know, are out there and, like, uh, I'll give an example of, like, I would say more than half of my students, like, have Black Lives Matter pins on um, on their white coats or Mm -hmm. they have, like, little LGBTQ plus, like, little pins that they can put on their coat that Mm -hmm. are just these, like, visual cues so that when they go out into clinic and they encounter a Black person and that person is, like, I am so just exhausted and I'm done and I'm so heartbroken over everything that's happening. Like, that they know that my student is not gonna look at them and be like, I don't experience that. So I don't know what you're talking about, right? Like they can see like just that little gesture of that pin and know that like, they're gonna be heard. Like they're at the very least not gonna be gaslit. Like they're not gonna have a person be like, well, they didn't mean that. Or like, that's not racist. Like that's blah, blah, blah. Like, cause that's gaslighting. That's more trauma. That's more like you're making it worse when you like try to pretend like it doesn't exist. So, even just those little shows of solidarity that show like you know on my lapel, like you know or you have she her pronouns like under your name or whatever, right like just those little things make such a huge difference to patients because people that are walking around with these feelings of otherness, right, like whether they are a person of color or even whether they're a, they're a woman or whether they're disabled or whether they're trans or whether they are, you know, Latinx or black or whatever, right? Like there's all these like feelings of otherness that you're caring that you're like, I don't know if I could talk to this other person about that, if they would even possibly understand, right? And then you talk about like just distrust in the healthcare system based on some of these experiences with other people, right? Like having just that little thing that says like, I see you makes that a is, huge difference.
0: That's so, so I'm, I'm thinking in terms of, I can only apply this to the work that I do now. Um, I work in pediatric ER, right? And so we have a lot of, um, we actually have a a gender clinic where, which is great resource for um, teenage students who are part of that community, but are still kind of finding their way. Um, But as a clinician, if I were, I'm just thinking if I were to walk in and have something to signify, whether it be on my badge or whatever, that would be, you're right, that would be totally amazing for them. And it's, super easy for me to do so i think
1: that i think i'm going to take that nugget with me <laughs> awesome. well i'm yeah, happy to get that great. and and one thing that I, I know that somebody might give pushback for um is this concept of performative allyship right like you put a black square on your instagram like that doesn't mean that you actually like care about these things or like you know really actual allyship versus like performative allyship to be like there see the checkbox like i'm an ally Like, please like and share my black square on my Instagram, right? Like, I get that some people are going to give that pushback. Mm -hmm. Um, And yes, that is a thing where people are like, yes, like I'm an ally, but then in practice aren't. Um, But I don't think that people necessarily would go the step as healthcare providers to be like, you know, putting certain items on their white coat because the white coat I think is sacred. Like as a healthcare provider, I like take great pride in putting on a white coat. Um, so I'm not going to put, you know, something that isn't meaningful to me on there. Um, so while it is maybe a small gesture, like, um, I would say that even just taking those small steps, like their steps, I'm glad that you're, you know, showing up and doing this work. And like, obviously I don't speak for like all disabled people or all people of color or all women or all LGBTQ plus people, but like, I know that to this queer disabled person of color. Like if I walked into a doctor's office and said, you know, saw or a PA's office and saw in their white coat, like the LGBTQ plus badge, like I can be who I am and I can take up space. And that is not something that's afforded to me on a regular basis. That's not something that's afforded to people of color or disabled people or what have you on a daily basis. And even if you can just make that little space for your patient, like you're doing a lot more than you think.
0: So yeah, on that thread, you know, one of the other things I think about is, is like, so I would, I plan to make that change. That's an easy change that so I definitely know that I can, I can make that impact hopefully. Um, but also sharing that with my colleagues, right? Like if I just, hey, I noticed you have this pin. Yeah, I got it. This is why I got it. This is why this is on here. And it's because not only am I supporting this group of people going through this event, but also just in general, um, I want to show them that it, they're safe, and and so that con- like those conversations can be really uncomfortable. But that's a simple like this is why I did this. I think would make a huge difference. I agree, and I like literally
1: when we had our first day back on campus after COVID. Um, it's still kind of awkward because we have to be like in math and face then and we want to like hug each other. We're just like air five like from six feet away, <laughs> right? But like just the difference in how people are showing up, like, and the awareness around these issues that I think our society at large has, like, it at least gives me a little bit of hope, you know, so I think that even just those small gestures, I know, are going to make a big difference for their patients. And that doesn't mean that they just got the pin off of Amazon, and they were called it a day, right? Like, they went through the trouble of finding, like, you know, when I'm spending my money, right, like, am I supporting a Black business? Am I supporting you know, a business that's actually going to take this money and give it to, like, the Trevor Project or, like, LGBTQ plus organizations, like, that's going to find housing for, you know, youth that are disproportionately impacted by homelessness because they're LGBTQ plus, right? Like, is this actually going to those organizations that I want it to? Um, or is it going you know, to like some company that doesn't care about these causes. They're just capitalizing on the moment, right? So like just that little extra step of mindfulness I thought was really powerful and important um, that my students said, so I'm just like so proud of them,
0: <laughs> What do you think um, the students can do to continue that effort as well, or even pre-PA students? Do you have any advice from that standpoint?
1: I do. Um, So one thing that I would say, like, with a little asterisk, is you have to hope that you're at a program where your professors listen to you. Um, I know that sometimes, especially when you're at, like, a huge program, like, you may not feel like you have a voice. um, And that's, like, a different conversation for, like, professors and, you know, people on the academic side to, like, create a space for their students to feel that way. Um, But know that like your voice matters as a pre-PA and as a student um, and that you can advocate for yourself, especially like when you already are in a program. So um, advocacy on any level, whether that's like joining your PA student society chapter at your program, um, whether that's uh, joining like your state representative. So we're in California, so that's Kappa for us um, or joining AAPA as a student, like those dues go towards not only supporting our profession, but like in California, I was like, never have I been more proud of Kappa and to be a Kappa member when they issued like such a strong anti-racist statement um, in the wake of what happened with George Floyd. And so I was thrilled to be a Kappa member at that point. And I was like, I know that they are on the right track. like I feel good about giving them My dollars, because I know that they're, like, making these steps, so, like, number one is, like, join a group of some kind that's advocating for your profession. Um, Know that with the AAPA student handbook for clubs and organizations, one of the optional positions is, like, a diversity chair or an outreach representative. So, if your school doesn't already have one of those or your program doesn't already have one of those, like, volunteer. Even if they've already held the PA Student Society elections, like, you can go to your PA Student Society and be like, hey, like, do you need a diversity representative or can I help with some of these initiatives? What can we do for our community service that, like, make sure that we're recognizing that there's health disparities here with these communities that are underrepresented and how can we, like, give a hand to these communities even if for no other reason then we can start to restore some of the trust that's been eroded over hundreds of years of like medical mistreatment of these communities.
0: Absolutely. You know, the other thing is, is I feel like that some of that work is being done, but without that name, like without mm-hmm. that true, you know what I mean? Like, cause I know our program, uh, uh, reached out to many different rural communities and diverse communities, but it didn't, nobody called it that. Right. And it's like the quiet, like, yes, we're helping. And you know yes we're doing good in the world but like having if, if we were to have that diversity chair or somebody that could kind of call it what it really was and kind of help as a student help me understand that there's more happening here you're working on the surface level there's so much deep there's so many levels of change that happens by doing this kind of work um Would have been very helpful. Absolutely, that's and I love that you're talking about getting in engaged and involved and empowered, right? Because like that's you know that's my thing. But (laughs) I uh, I'm a big proponent of joining state associations and um, AAPA for from another perspective, right? Always from the just the PA side of it. But having having leadership in the PA world, having leadership that's also diverse, only supports the need, the cause, the communities so much better and it's it's super important to to know for students I think to know that they can do that it's absolutely you know when you're paying dues they work for you right like you're you're paying money to a group to work for you so don't be afraid to jump into those roles you know the imposter syndrome being an issue for sure um you know, it, I can see where students who were already struggling with some of that imposter syndrome would say, "Well, I, I'm not. I don't. I'm not trained. I don't know how to be a leader. I don't know how to be part of these groups." Um, you know, I would, I would say for sure that that is so possible and so important. And if you approach it from like a servitude, like if you're serving not only your PA profession, you know, colleagues, but also the diverse community that you represent. I think that that would be. I'm so for that. I'm so glad you said that because she's so excited. That's absolutely right. AAPA also, you know, it's, it's all the things we need. We need it on so many levels, our state levels, but also on our national levels for sure. Totally.
1: And like to your statement about some people like having that imposter syndrome and being like, I don't know that I know exactly what I'm doing yet. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to try. Like you're not expected to be perfect. And I think that that's just like kind of a, byproduct of living in a society that like has social media where it's like oh like my eyebrows I forgot to finish my eyebrows today like should I even get on a podcast and talk about diversity issues with Courtney today because like I've got stray eyebrow hairs like
0: is this you know (laughs) so
1: like we're very
0: your eyebrows look beautiful today by the way
1: (laughs) Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm just trying <laughs> that to say, like, so real, right? that perfectionism, like, yeah, that feeling that we had to do it, like, perfect and Instagram-worthy, and it must be, like, ready yeah. to share for the world. Like, no, it doesn't. Like, it could be ugly, and you can go home and cry about it, but, like, <laughs> if you come back and you try again tomorrow, that's the important thing. Like, right. that's how we get
0: So, uh, One of the most recent, my favorite like mantras, like I kind of stick with certain mantras throughout the months of the year. My recent one is progress, not perfection. And, Mm -hmm. And that actually relates to like health, right? Like I'm trying to make changes and, but I think it applies everywhere, right? Like in the PA profession, you know, people made mistakes in trying to support the Black Lives Movement, you know, like PA profession, the groups have made mistakes. They did things kind of insensitively. And so, but it was still progress, you know, and then some of them backtracked and then resubmitted a statement and 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 then moved forward in a way that was not perfect, but was progress and, and mm-hmm. progress, not perfection. So that's where it's going it progress, not perfection is like super, super important. So eyebrow hair is like, I got the frizzy hair going on. It's totally okay. <laughs> right. Progress, not perfection.
1: Exactly. Yeah. The important thing is, is that you're showing up, you know, exactly. just, just the work has to be done. And like, it's better when we all chip away at it, like a little piece at a time. And like, I think that, you know, especially with COVID and being, isolated from a lot of our support. Um, I know that like, a lot of people, including myself, like I had a rough time transitioning to being online. Like, thank goodness, I am so fortunate to have like a wonderful relationship with my spouse where we're not like, ah, with each other at the end of the day, like sharing a space, you know what I mean? Yeah. um, I like, I miss my work family and I miss seeing my students every day and I'm an extrovert and I miss talking with like lots of people on a vibrant campus and like all of those things like yeah. that was very hard for me. And so I think like, um, one of the things that I guess my therapist has me do, and that has been like, just really, really helpful for me is practicing the concept of forgiving myself when I don't do something perfectly. Oh, um, awesome that perfectionist mindset of like, oh, she was like, I should be trying harder. Or like, was that ally performative? And like, I'm not really like, you know, showing up in the way that I ought to, or like having all of this like list of things that um, <laughs> stop shooting yourself. Like you should do this or you should do that, or you should do this or you should do that. Like, just like I showed up and I tried and like, I'm going to forgive myself. I'm going to give myself like a chance to drink a little bit more coffee or to take care of myself today. Or, like, do whatever I need to do to, like, try to show up as a more functional person. And then I'm just going to keep trying. Like, it doesn't have to be perfect. Just, like, forgive yourself and get up and do it again tomorrow. And just ask for help if you need to. Like There's no shame in that game, you know?
0: Absolutely. So when it comes to as a PA community, one of the things um, I hope uh, as we move forward, one of the things I'm hoping, which even just with Empower PAs, is to give students kind of some not just students but like some idea of what they can do while they're in their didactic portion of their PA program and then also through the clinical aspect of it and then like the new grad and so because I think that those are different levels of like needs and and um, experiences and so what would you suggest for the PA student um, just regarding um, the di- maybe not so much the didactic portion because you spoke to that pretty well, I think, unless you had something to add, but maybe the clinical aspect of it because being part of those peer groups is great, but the preceptors <laughs> maybe won't know that right.
1: Um, so I would talk with your if you have like an advisor, so our program, like we have advisors for our students like whether they're in didactic or in their clinical so however you establish support in your program before you venture off into rotations, right? And you're like in the world for the first time, um, make sure that you've established a support system and asked your, um, you know, your faculty or your program like, kind of for some clarity on like, what are the steps to take? Should I recognize that you know, maybe one of my colleagues of color is not receiving the same opportunities or the same treatment that I am? or if I'm a person of color or if I'm disabled and, you know, somebody has an experience where they're like, you know, not treating me the same or not giving me the opportunities. Like I remember very clearly on my orthopedic rotation surgery, like kind of stretching my back and having the surgeon tell me that I looked like I was a spaz and that like, I shouldn't even scrub into surgery if I can't like stop dancing around. And I was like, My back is killing me like I don't know what to tell you like and I like went home and I cried about it you know what I mean because I was just like you know what I mean maybe I'm not cut out for this or like maybe I shouldn't like even have gone to a rotation where I had to do something physical and I felt like it was like my fault you know what I mean and I didn't ever tell you know anybody at the program about it because like what are they going to do you know and part of that is because I didn't know what I could do. So I think just asking your program before you even go out onto rotations, like number one, do I have your support? Um, Because here's the things that I'm worried about as a person of color or as a disabled person or as somebody who might experience microaggressions like LGBTQ+, or even just like as a female, right? Like I'm worried that I'm not going to get the same opportunities as like my male colleagues, right? Um, So number one is finding out like what can I do or who is my support? Who is an actual ally in my program? And asking, you know, is there something that I can follow either in the handbook or who should I come to in the event that this happens? Like what can I actually do about it? So like our students, no, sorry, my doggy is coming over here and she's like knocking in my desk. It's um, like, puppy friendly here
0: too. <laughs>
1: yeah. So that's why my arm is moving. I'm giving doggy pets. Um <laughs> but um just knowing like who you can come back to and who you can trust because it oftentimes with that power dynamic, like we addressed earlier, is going to be really hard to directly address the preceptor about that. Um, So being able to come back to your program and know like, who is the person that I can actually have like an honest conversation about this with, even if that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to like cancel that rotation. Like at least you might know as a student, like, okay, like how can I make sure that I'm not going to get like adverse marks on my grades or something like that because of something that's out of my control or might be a bias issue on the side of the preceptor and talking about those things in advance with your support system so that you don't feel hung out to dry if and when those things happen.
0: That's great advice If um, as because you're an advisor. So as on the flip side of that, right? So if I have a student that came to me as an advisor, um, what do you think the best approach when there's a lot of politics in those rotations, right? Because of how limited they are. If I have a student coming to me and I can anticipate, cause you, I feel like sometimes we can anticipate that there are providers that are less diverse friendly. Let's just put it that way. Um, well, what would you tell the student? What should I tell the student knowing that are, they may be going into a more difficult rotation from that perspective?
1: That's a good one. So um, I think it depends on if it's before or after something has happened. So um, one thing that I do for um, most of my advisees are female, um, but I do try to have a conversation with my advisees that like as a female, you might struggle with, you know, trying to compete for the same space as your male colleagues. Um, As PA students, you're going to struggle to compete with like time with residents and things like that when you're out in rotations. Um, But specifically, like, I think that goes back to um, having that good rapport. So like, I do have that, like, I advise them before they go into rotations, like, there is likely going to be a time where you encounter a microaggression um, on a rotation. And I want you to know that that's not your fault. And I want you to know that it doesn't change how we see you at the program. It doesn't change how important what you are doing are is for your community um and it doesn't reflect on you it reflects on a bias or like an ignorance on the side of your preceptor Um, and if you come to me and you bring me a concern like I believe you and I see you and I like will not judge you
0: or be like well did you did you do something wrong like somebody blaming right like victim blaming
1: right (laughs) so like I promise not to victim blame Um, I promise to hear you out right so um in that scenario, I think setting that groundwork is really important. So even just like laying the groundwork, maybe not about like this rotation because I think that could like create a system.
0: All right, so we're, we're having tech issues here. I am gonna take my video off so we can just see Brianna. Uh, <laughs> okay, so we can hear you and see you. Uh, yeah, so I mean, that's great advice when it comes to talking to um, PA students, especially when you know they're about to face some challenging moments. I think that
1: anyone can do that as an advisor too. Sorry to interrupt you. Um, I think just like for me, the approach that I try to take is keeping it general because I don't ever want a student to feel like, oh my gosh, like I now have extra anxiety going into this rotation because I've heard about this preceptor in particular or what have you. Um, I just try to keep it general. Like, should you face some type of uh, microaggression or have some issue on rotations here for it's really important before students even like leave for rotations um because every scenario will be kind of handled on a um a lot all right one more
0: time (laughs) yes (laughs) like one of those (laughs) like Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes. Unseen. <laughs> all right. We're
0: going to come back up now. Yeah. For, for those listening, I am so sorry. My, I think the power went out on the internet. And so like we're, our connection, it keeps telling me my connection's unstable. So I've reconnected to another connection. So, uh, hopefully we don't, I don't want to cut this short at all. Cause this is such good stuff. Like this advice is like super important. It's like the meat of why we're here. Right. So, uh, Brianna, you take, take the lead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we were talking about like, being prepared either as advisors or like you know essentially what can we do to prepare our students when they we know that they might be going into rotation where microaggressions could be experienced. Um, I try to steer away from saying like oh be careful with this doctor or with this specialty or with this whatever because you are right like there are certain certain specialties um, But I would never want a student to feel like, oh, I have to be like extra anxious or extra on guard um, or extra like polished or what have you, like going into this rotation at this hospital based on like what they've heard. So I try to keep it really general with my students and let them know that like regardless of what the issue that you face is, whether it's encountering microaggressions or you see it happening to somebody else, um, that before they even go on rotations, I let them know, like, I am here for you to come talk with about that. Um, I will believe you. Um, I won't judge you about it. And then I give the student um, the autonomy, unless it's something like egregious, right? Where like, we have to like, act as a program, right? But like, if it's a microaggression or something like that, I give the student, you know, the autonomy to say, like, what would you like me to do? Um, because I think the thing that some PA students may struggle with is feeling like, oh gosh, like I'm just a student and this is my professor and I have no power. Like, no, and you're a student on clinical rotations, like you're six months away from being a PA, you know, or you're two months away from being a PA. Like you are a professional in my eyes. Like you just are a professional with training wheels on right now. Um, so I think learning as a student to just know that like you can stand in your power and you aren't powerless and you have the ability to like come talk with a preceptor or come talk with um you know your advisor or somebody at the program about that and even just knowing that like it's okay to talk about these things like that's I think something that even if somebody would have just told me like you can say something if something like this happens that I would have felt like oh like I at least could have had the capacity to like go and tell someone about it and not just carry it, you know. And I can't honestly say, like, I don't think even knowing what I know now, if I had to redo that rotation over again, I would still do it because I learned a ton on that rotation. And it sucks that it was like, and I also faced microaggressions, you know. Um, It's kind of tainted
0: with that experience.
1: Right. But a lot of times people may not necessarily want to like say like, oh, like we should get rid of this rotation side or like, oh, I don't want to go back there. A lot of times people are like, I just want to like feel validated or, like, I just want to know that, like, it's appropriate that I felt uncomfortable about this and, like, that wasn't cool, you know what I mean? Or, like, that that was a microaggression and, like, even if I don't necessarily have the power to, like, change this instant or, like, change this one person's mind, like, you know, knowing that I have allies at my program, like, at home base, basically, like, at the program, then, like, I think that that helps quite a bit. Um, I wish I had, like, more insight as to, like, what you could do on, like, a case-by-case basis. Um, But it really does vary, like, with every program and with every um, scenario, really. So, I think just as a generality, like, establishing who your allies are and, like, where your base of support is in your program before you even go out onto rotations, um, both for, you know, the program and the student is
0: helpful. Yeah, that's, um, that's such great advice on both on, from both sides of it. Um, and the other thing that I keep, I keep thinking about is, you know, as a preceptor, you know, we've talked about that, but then again, also kind of making sure your colleagues are on the same page too, right? Like, even though I'm saying, you know, you're in a safe spot, if you have any problems, let me know, are my colleagues doing that? Um, is it part of like, you know, it would be very easy to just make it uh, I don't want to say a checklist, but, you know, ha- having that conversation with anybody who's precepting students ahead of time of like, you know, please make sure that you're addressing their needs and, and asking them the question of, or telling them at least that you're available if there's a problem or to let you know, because as, as a PA who's practicing, uh, not where I work now, but where, where I have worked, not just as a PA, but mm-hmm. as a paramedic, you know, I know that there are offenders out there. You know that there's somebody that's going to say something that's going to be offensive um, and or even whether they mean it or not. And um, kind of prote- I, like I'm being protective of those students, knowing that um, if there is something that occurs that you need to be notified immediately so that you can address it with that other professional physician, a nurse. I mean, it doesn't have to, it's not it doesn't have to just right. be that hierarchy of physician, right? Or it could also be right. a PA, it could be a nurse practitioner, it could be a nurse, it could be anybody like so having that ally is is there's so many there's so many ways to 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 dice that up in terms of um, support. So no those those are great, great pieces of advice. What about thank you do you think that there's um kind of space for not just PAs who are onboarding new grads, because usually that's kind of the task that we have working in wherever we work, but also on the flip side, as a new grad who's trying to like show their employer that yeah, I'm capable and they probably don't want to step out of bounds and they're probably extra, extra cautious because now they have all these loans they have to pay off and like there's our right. power struggle too. Um, do right. you have advice for that kind of cohort of, uh, of PAs?
1: like just about to enter the workforce PAs
0: (laughs) or those that are just that are are entering that like have started their job and are trying to just navigate that I'm a real PA now Uh, right I think to also address maybe some of those microaggressions um you know from that standpoint
1: so that one there's a lot of layers to that because I would be lying if I said like you know every time I faced a microaggression as a professional I like stood in my power and like made sure to like advocate on behalf of like other oppressed people like no like i am like sensitive to the fact that like at the end of the day like that person's writing my check um and i have to be mindful of it so like right. for example when i had my spinal fluid leak um it took us like almost 3 a little over 3 years rather to like find out what was happening cuz i had like spontaneous like csf leakage out of like holes in my dura that just like appeared um <clears throat> and so It was a, like, it was a long diagnostic process, but one of the first symptoms that I had is that I gained, like, 30 to 40 pounds, because as my brain was, like, dropping, it was squishing my pituitary gland, and so I just, like, suddenly, like, had a bunch of weight gain, and I was like, gosh, like, what's going on, and, like, one of the first things that, when I was talking with my boss about it, because, like, I thought my boss and I were, like, you know, had a friendly, like, working relationship. And he was a white male, and, like, when I talked to him about, like, yeah, so, like, I've been having these headaches, and I really just, like, I don't feel well, um, and, like, I've gained weight. And this had been going on for, like, four or five months at this point, you know, and I finally was just, like, yeah, like, you know, when he asked me how I was, I was, like, I'm just going to be honest and tell him. And he was, like, are you sure you're not pregnant? Because when pretty Latinas start gaining weight, it's usually because they're knocked up.
0: And I was just, like, <laughs> dude. <laughs> like, yeah. So I'm like not laughing, cause that's funny. I am, uh, just like laughing like, like, because that is mind blowing. Right. Said that. right. Oh, and like, gosh, like, so was he being now, funny? Did
1: you think that
0: was humorous or was he, being- I think
1: he thought that was funny. Yeah. And oh. like, like, so there's multiple sides of that, right? Like, so one, on the one hand, I'd rather have a relationship with my boss where I feel like we can joke you know, because, like, to me, I have a sense of humor, too, and, like, I would rather feel like I have collegiality with my colleagues, and at that time, I just was kind of, like, like, you know, (laughs) barf internally, and, like, you know, it's just, like, "Mm, yeah, pretty sure I'm not pregnant, dude, like, you know, I'm an adult with a, you know, medical degree, like, pretty sure I would know how to check for that, you know what I mean, like,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: anyway, um, (laughs) but, um, I think, like, one thing as, like, a new PA entering the workforce that's really important to know is, like, to know how valuable you are and to know that you don't have to, like, settle for working at a place like that. So, like, if that were the only thing that had happened in an otherwise, like, utopian work environment, like, you know, probably would I have left? No. Like, I would have probably just, you know, said, like, hey, not cool, dude, and, like, just, you know, continue to recognize that the benefits of working at like this job that was otherwise perfect for example would be like worth it to me and that's like just the decisions that we have to make as adults right we have to like take the eat the fish leave the bones right like you just take the good with the bad Um, there's no utopia where you're going to have perfect relationships with anyone that's not human that's not normal exactly exactly and so i think like having realistic expectations that like your first job is probably not going to be the job that you stay at for the rest of your career So don't feel like you have like loyalty to that employer. Like I think I was always phrased as like, you know, you're just gonna be lucky to get a job. And so you just like, you be a good little worker bee and you like do what you gotta do. And like, I think that mentality was like, not a good one to have going in as a new grad because I think that that made me like more willing to take like a lower paying job or more willing to like put up with things that I shouldn't have been putting up with. Like I shouldn't be doing like, the job of an MA and a PA, you know, and getting paid like on the low end of a PA salary, like those kind of things. Right. So I think like, number one is just like knowing that you are a valuable, respected member of the healthcare team. Um, And also like going back to being part of your state and national organizations, like do your homework, right? Like be informed so that you're like looking at the AAPA salary report, for example, and saying like, you know what, PA's in California, are making this much as new grads, and I'm not going to take less than that, Um, and just know, like, I recognize that's coming from a place of privilege as well, to say that, like, now as a working professional, part of the reason I took kind of a low-paying job when I was fresh in the workforce is because I was like, I got bills to pay, I got, you know, things coming up, yeah, but then I also recognized, like, okay, I'm taking this kind of, exactly, yeah, I've got bill collectors knocking, you know, and so, (laughs) like, I think i Um, recognized at least like, okay, yes, this is like not a great job. It was like an urgent care job where I was working like 12 to 13 hours straight with no break. And like, it was just not an ideal work environment. Um, I recognized that like, okay, yes, I took this job for the sake of like getting a check, but this isn't a job where I'm going to be like, oh, I'm going to stay here until I retire. Like I was looking the minute I took that job for like something better and part of me was like, oh, is that like not a good employee thing to do? Or will it look bad if I have like three different jobs in three years? Like, no, like go where you're going to be happy. Like don't leave for stupid stuff. Like their coffee was terrible. So I couldn't work there. Like, you know, don't leave for stupid things, but like, you know, uh, at some point if a hiring manager is asking you like, why have you had three different jobs in three different years? Like, it's totally acceptable to be like, I'm going to go where the best opportunity for me and my family is like. That's totally fine to say that. Men say that all the time. And like, you know, I think as women, we're like, oh, I don't know if I should ask for like that raise or if I should, you know, go and hop around to different employers. But like, no, like, it's fine. Like, you have value that you're bringing too. It's not a one-sided relationship. So just kind of knowing that like you are bringing value and like you're not powerless in this equation kind of thing. Is helpful I think
0: of the PA community advice. in general also is kind of the stick it out kind of per- personalities right like I'll just I'll just stay here for a while and just see Uh, and I can tell you just from personal experience that I have stayed in a place I should not have stayed because um, kind of the same like well I want to be here maybe I could be here for the rest of my you know my career and then you know kind of dealing with not not the same kind of experience because experiences that were not necessarily good Um, no I think that 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 fear of jumping around reflecting very poorly on the professional side, if you're professional about it, you give the appropriate amount of time. Like there's no reason to be, to fear that piece of it, Um, regardless exactly. Exactly, if you just don't show
1: up to work and then you leave them with 80 charts uncompleted, like that would be not appropriate, right? But if you're like, here's my one month notice, like I always gave my employers at least a month notice Mm -hmm. um, because I recognize that like when you're scheduling for chronic appointments, like you're scheduling out a month. You know what I mean? And like, yes, those next three and a half weeks were a little bit awkward but like I was going to a better job so who cares like it doesn't matter if it's awkward for three weeks you know you're out of there anyway
0: the medical community is so small especially in like certain states where there's like a lot kind of bunched together a lot of different uh, facilities bunched together and burning those bridges even when you're a brand new PA will definitely affect later so obviously trying to do it in the most professional way Um, I can imagine would probably be the best route to go. Absolutely, yes. Respectful, professional,
1: exactly, 100%. Yes, and like one thing that I actually do tell a lot of my students that are like about to be grads or like friends slash colleagues that are new grads is like to be nice to everybody. Because like you should do that anyways, just because like that's a good person thing to do. But like, if you're really friendly with your farmer reps, and I don't mean like, yes, I'm gonna write, all of the, like, Lovasa ever because the vasa rep is really nice, right? Like, no, I'm not saying that, right? But I'm saying, like, get to know them, like, get to know people and, like, show a genuine interest in people because, because the community is small, they know about jobs before you would possibly know about jobs. So I worked in pain management in my clinical career for, like, the better part of my career before I came into academia um and my I did three different locations where I did pain management my last job was like a heaven on earth job like if you want to talk about a utopia I'm talking like I was working eight to five cap of 25 patients and I had a scribe and I had an amazing work family and the nicest boss and it was like the most amazing thing it was like heartbreaking to have to leave for like medical reasons but like that didn't just fall in my lap, right? Like, you know, you have to basically be keeping your eyes and ears open. So like, both other pain management jobs that I got, I got from pharma reps, like people that oh. like, I had made friends with and just shown like, hey, like, I care about patients, this is my treatment philosophy, because they take that information to the office manager of the next office that they're going to go visit for that same specialty. So when they were like, oh, hey, Dr. So and so is looking for a PA, I think he would be a good fit. I'd be like, thanks for the tip because that job's not on Indeed yet. That job's not on AAPA yet, right? But that person knows based on like their personal relationships with those office managers, like so-and-so is looking for PA. And that's how it was with my like final pain management job. They are like, Dr. So-and-so needs a PA or is thinking about hiring a PA in a couple of months. Like maybe you should reach out and I'd be like, thanks for the tip, Bob. Like, I appreciate it. And like, had I not, not, not gotten to know Bob and you know, showing him that I was a real person right like then those types of connections um I don't think would have been made so I suppose the moral of that story is like just show up to work like a real human being like you know if you can't be like a real authentic human at your workplace like that should tell you something yeah, for sure
0: well I think like networking in general is one of those things that I just as a professional I know we're talking about diversity but you know, professionalism in general, thats kind of, it's, they they all go hand in hand, right? Like, it's important to, to network for your own benefit, but also for the benefit of others, right? You want to make sure, and networking sounds really kind of shmurmy, but the the bottom line is, is that making those human connections with other people, um, I think that that will serve you well throughout an entire career, for sure. That'd be great. Well, um I see we're getting to like the hour mark or a little past it actually. And so I would like to wrap up a little bit. Um, do you think there's any other advice that we haven't kind of gotten to? I know we had a lot to cover um that you'd like to share with everyone.
1: Um, I would say like the one piece of advice um that I would give to people that are just applying to PA schools, um, because I know that like I am a mentor on your platform on Facebook, Courtney, like like where we offer mentorship to pre-PA students um, is to know that when you're applying to a PA program, like you get to have a say in like whether or not that's going to be a good fit for you too. Um, I get that it's competitive to get into PA school and it like broke my heart that I've like literally had people tell me like, I don't have the luxury of like going to a program that I want to go to. I'm just going to take a program that like I can get into Which, like, I respect that, you know what I mean? But also keep in mind that, like, you're going to be giving a lot of money and at least two years of your life to whatever program that you're going to be going into. And that should be a good fit for you, too, as a student. Like, you should know that, like, I'm going to show up and not be a number and I will have the resources necessary for me to be a successful person. Um, So I suppose just, like, kind of interviewing them as well. Like you're not the only one that's on trial. Like you have a choice of where you're going to go for PA school and it should fit for you. Like you should feel like it's somewhere where you want to spend two years of your life because PA school is incredibly stressful. I'm sure. Talk to any PA and they will tell you that it's like one of the hardest things you're ever going to do in your life. And if it's somewhere where you're like, I miss home, I don't feel like the instructors support me. I don't feel like I have a good, like, you know, network of professionals, like, or good rotations. Like, you're going to hate it worse. You know what I mean? Like, it's already, it's going to be harder. So, like, maybe take that extra year to be, you know, ready to apply at, like, a school where you feel like you're going to be a really good fit and that they're going to be in line with, like, how you want to practice medicine and why you want to practice medicine. So, I guess, like, just know that it's not just about like, Oh, I hope I get a spot somewhere. Like it should be a spot where you feel like it's home for you too. Cause it is going to be your home for two years.
0: Absolutely. At least. Yeah. And that's the same. So, um, the, what she's is on Facebook, we have a pre PA mentor and mentees free Facebook group, um, for lots of, I think they have like, thousand uh, people in that group. It's quite There's
1: a lot of people in there,
0: yeah. Yeah, but we have PAs that just kind of offer free time essentially. And, uh, you are one of them and yeah, it's, so it's really important to talk about that because you know, the, uh, I always tell people when they're asking me about their interviews, is it's always that you are also interviewing them because you're going to owe them a lot of money for a long time. <laughs> so yes. it's, it's yes. easy to fall into the, like, you know, I just want to get into school mode, but, um, and I obviously can't speak from the diversity standpoint, but just, from just student perspective. It's, it's important for people to recognize that, yeah, this is, this, this is your career, you know, taking control of your, um, your own career is really important. And, you know, is it better to get into a bad program now, or should you wait and get into a great program later? And, you know, yes, that's great advice. Well, thank you so much. This has been so good. Um, Thanks for having me. The advice that you're giving is like, it's applicable to everyone, right? We're talking about diversity and the important part is this really applies to everyone, no matter what gender you identify with, no matter what, you know, where you're at in your career, no matter what is going on. I think that all of this is, is completely, um, applicable, especially in the climate that we're in now. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of negativity out there, (laughs) you know, in terms of
1: the world's a heavy uh, place right now
0: right? Like, like I personally have experienced that just feeling helpless as, as a person who wants to engage and help. And, um, I really appreciate you kind of putting yourself out there with me together. We'll do this as a team, uh, and supporting all the efforts and all the groups and the diverse groups that you represent and also, uh, speak on behalf of, but also to, you know, um, incorporate the, the fact that we're all humans, right? We're all in this journey together. We're all here for like, we I feel like we're all here for each other. We just don't always know the best way to be here for each other. Right. And everybody's going to be
1: different, right? So like yeah. somebody who is also like a queer disabled woman of color could have a completely different life experience than me. And so I would say not so much that I like speak on behalf of you know, various intersectional groups, but also, like, just recognizing that, like, there is no one-size-fits-all approach to this, so, like, really the best, I guess, overall approach would be, like, just try, and if you're not sure, just ask, and, like, as long as you're coming from that place of, like, kindness and earnest intent of, like, I just want to do better, and I want to be a better ally, and I want to, like, make sure that you feel more comfortable in the spaces that we share, then I think... You can't go
0: wrong with that. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's, I probably misspoke. It's, it's, it's a good point. It's that we all have unique experiences. We all bring different things to the table. Not one of us can speak for another person necessarily, but maybe um, help represent and help advocate for is maybe the better, the better phrase for that.
1: I think that's a beautiful way to say it. And I must say, Courtney, I'm just like so impressed with your, uh, you know, just your ability to kind of, just be in a space of learning and openness. Like I really admire that about you. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity to chat with you today.
0: Well, thank you. Well, this was good. Um, I'm going to wrap up here. This was an awesome, long, awesome podcast. I'm going to make this into a blog post at some point and share. Uh, So resources. So let's talk about your handles, I know you have a website. You kind of give all your info done at the beginning, but we'll do it now.
1: <laughs> yes. So on Instagram, my like chronic illness slash like small business account is healed and empowered where I share like more about uh, chronic illness tips, tricks, like how to live just better with um, the various issues that someone with chronic illness might face. Um, And if you want to connect with me on more like a professional slash PA level, like as a colleague, um, my Instagram handle is Brianna Cardenas underscore PA dot C. I know that's incredibly long, but if you just search Brianna Cardenas on Instagram, like I think I'd pop up as like some of the only ones that come up under that handle. So I'm available. And then my website is healedandempowered.com. Or you can search for me on LinkedIn. I'm also on LinkedIn or on Facebook. You can connect with me on Facebook and I'd love to be able to share in the mentor mentee relationship if you connect on Courtney's Facebook group.
0: That is fantastic. Also, what is the name of the film that you are part of that we didn't get to? But there's oh, a really great trailer that I saw for the film. And I don't, I don't even know if the film's out yet because I haven't seen it, but I saw the trailer. And I was uh-huh got goosebumps
1: yes oh my gosh i am so grateful to be part of um a mini series of films called unfixed um you can follow them on youtube or you can follow them on instagram at unfixed film um and it's basically a collaboration of multiple people with various chronic illnesses talking about what it's like to live a quote like unfixed life because i think so much of our society is focused on like how do we cure disease and how do we like just eradicate it so, like, i never have to, like, live life as a person with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome again. Like, I could just be rid of this, like, cursed disease or whatever, right? And I think, like, the unfixed part of that is showing that, like, you can still have a meaningful and, like, valuable and worthwhile and fulfilling life experience with a chronic illness. Like, just because there's that piece of you that's unfixed, like, doesn't mean that your life is over um so I'm thrilled to be working with two filmmakers Mia Allen and Kimberly Warner and they are just phenomenal human beings um and you should follow them on YouTube or on Instagram and there's actually we just did our they released the sixth or seventh installment of the series of films um and the next one's going to be coming out pretty shortly so I'm really looking forward to that That'll be the next thing I binge. Um. (laughs) And they're, they're nice. They're in digestible tidbits. They're like seven to 10 minutes each. So they're very like, yeah, you can watch them in an hour and really expand your horizons a lot. It's, it's really beautiful perspective on lots of people from everything with like terminal cancer to ALS to chronic diseases like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome or fibromyalgia or rheumatoid arthritis. There's like lots of different patient perspectives there that I think is really valuable for anyone in healthcare
0: to gain that insight. Absolutely. Again, just on a personal note, my son was diagnosed with uh, chronic illness this summer, and that has been mind blowing as a person who's, uh, you know, I've never had a chronic illness, so I can't really speak to it, but now being a parent of a child with a chronic illness that will take him into his adulthood, and also being a PA, trying to be respectful of the patients that I take care of, and also knowing that some of my colleagues have some chronic illnesses, like it's been so important, a little bit triggering, but also important to like learn more about what life can look like, you know, in those circumstances. So I watched that train mm-hmm. first came out. I was like goosebumps, like you know, oh, I was just so moving and so so. I'm so Proud of you for I don't know if I can say that right. Yes, you totally can. <laughs> that's just can. amazing. I'm so proud of you for doing it because that's a lot to, yeah. to to tag on to something that's big, big. Because um, you're putting yourself out there, uh, and so I thank you as a PA, as a as a person who is now raising a child with a chronic illness, um, to to allow an insight into that world and honestly some like inspiration because I think that is. Um, A huge fear of mine as a parent, and that's the only experience I have from that perspective. But
1: well, thank you for your vulnerability as well. And um, you know, I think our society does a very good job of creating little tiny boxes that we're supposed to fit into to be, you know, functional or good enough or whatever. Um, And I think a lot of people hide their illnesses for the sake of trying to fit in or assimilate. I know I did for a really long time. so I'm, I'm grateful for you giving a plug and a shout out to that film because um, I think that's part of expanding our horizons as human beings is knowing that like people with differences or with different abilities, like it doesn't make them unfit to be like part of our society. like In fact, they're probably going to create a, an environment where your horizons as perhaps like an able-bodied person or somebody that doesn't experience those varying degrees of you know disability or whatever marginalized group like it makes a difference it makes us better as a collective and it helps us I think create a world in which we are more accommodating and accepting of others with differences so,
0: yeah Thank absolutely. you. absolutely all right with that said um I am Courtney with Empowered PAs my website is empoweredpas.com We have all sorts of resources I'm on Instagram uh at Empowered PAs. I am occasionally on Twitter, I am on LinkedIn as well, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna leave it there. So um, I appreciate you, thank you so much. Uh, I'm gonna let you go now because we have taken up these people's time, but this has been great. And hopefully, um, like I said, if you're watching this video, that means that I actually got it on YouTube or somewhere public, (laughs) yay. And then also if you don't have time or you wanna listen to it the car whatever, We'll have it as a podcast and we'll have it as a blog post so that we'll actually write down those resources for everyone, um, at least in terms of tips and tricks and uh, maybe any other resources that we might come up with in the meantime. So thanks so much. It was so good to see you, so good to chat. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. So I hope you enjoyed that podcast and that conversation. I know I did. Um you know, it, like I said in the beginning, this is—it's re- really important to have these conversations and at least you know broaden our horizons on our perspectives. Because I know I learned a lot here, just some little things that I can do as a PA to make a difference in a PA student's world and make a difference in a patient's world. So, and I'm still learning and I'm still messing up, and but I'm trying. So, uh, yeah, to go back to what uh, where you can go, you can follow Brianna on Healed and Empowered. And also, on, and that's her handle on Instagram. Her other handle is Rihanna Cardenas, uh, PA professor, I think. And she, I think she just said that. And then her website is healedandempowered.com. As always, I am Empowered PA, So I am at Empowered PAs on Instagram, Twitter. Um, and I, uh, my blog and website is empoweredpas.com. We have lots of great resources for PAs, specifically for PA students, for pre-PAs, uh, lots of you know, lots of different resources from clinical resources to leadership resources to just what a day in the life of a PA is like, and so lots of good stuff there. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for sticking around. It was really, really long, but I hope it was really helpful for you. Bye.